Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello listeners, you're tuned into Queenie on 3CR Community Radio and I'm Iris and that song was For Me by Dearly and I'm joining us here today with Frank and Nikki and thanks to the previous show in Psychedelia. Um but before I uh, talk to everyone, I'm just going to give an um, acknowledgement of country. We're broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Kulin Nations, um, the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples here in Nam, Melbourne. I'd like to acknowledge the sovereignty was never been ceded. Genocide is ongoing here. And I'd like to pay my respects to um, elders past, present and future. And I'd like to acknowledge any listeners. Um, and in terms of this week it is NADOC week and the theme this year is because of her we can and I've attended a few NADOC week events um it's been a big week there was a big march on Friday and um the protection of Japarong country is ongoing you can check out the Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy on Facebook and Earth Matters produced a podcast on that called No Trees No Treaty so check that out on the 3CR website um yeah, so I'm sure, like, to, in terms of today's show, um, Frank is co-hosting with me today, and yeah, I'm showing them the ropes a bit, and I'm joined in the studio here with Nikki Spunday, who's a, um, yeah. A comedian, a com- a com- you com- How do I describe you? Uh, a comedian, yeah. Yeah, a comedian who's produced a lazy show and asexual healing and much more. We're going to talk to... Um, Nikki first and after that we're going to talk later in the show with Miranda Sparks who's uh, wrote what um, who wrote, who's written a comic on a trans superhero and presents the gender agenda on Joy FM um, yep yeah. so first I'm thinking about current events and last night was like quite distressing because I was thinking of going to bed but then looking on Twitter and I'm like what and on my social media feeds and it's like Oh no, these turfs have, have totally hijacked London Pride. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so tired of this. And now I've spent another few hours just, I should be asleep, but I'm look, consuming all this content. I guess on one level, it's not surprising because this happens a lot, but it's just so disappointing. And yeah, what do anyone have feelings on? Well, it's been, um, I mean, it's all been a bit, like the queer space has been very contentious and stressful recently like normally queer spaces are places where I go to feel comfortable and supported Um, but I've been having problems in both like sort of gay male oriented bars and gay female oriented bars recently which are both normally safe places for me and to add on top of that like pride month in America there's a lot of anti-asexual stuff going around on the internet so it's just been feeling like I go anywhere near my own community these Mm -hmm. days I'm getting attacked from multiple sides. So the the London Pride thing is one of the largest and most disappointing things because it's something that the organisation could have stopped and should have stopped um, and didn't. But oh, it just feels like um, it just feels like part of the landscape at the moment. This kind of hostility. Mm. 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, some quite a lot of backlash in different places. In the UK, it's quite bad. It like, seems to be one of the homes of TERFs. Um, Frank, did you have any thoughts on... Yeah, it, I, I just think it's really disgusting. As And as Nikki was pointing out, just like the like the anti-asexual and anti-aromantic um, um, like discourse that I've been seeing has been really um, appalling. Um, like I'm not asexual, aromantic myself, but my partner is aromantic and they've been pretty distressed by the whole mm-hmm. thing and, and rightfully so. Um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, being a non-binary person, I have had a few run-ins with... Um, with turfs um i mean not as much as as other other people but yeah i'm um, just hearing this is just really distressing mm. yeah i've had a number of run-ins over the including this year i feel like happens um and i think one of the things i've been thinking about is how the responsibility for um trans and non-conforming people's safety is often placed on us and it's like well i mean turfs are really often a cis feminism problem and I need and like a lot of um people yeah people around that really need to do organizing around that because I have zero interest in talking to people that deny my existence it's not really my role um yeah and I'd like to see more people taking responsibility there and in terms of London Pride I saw the excuses was that apparently as hot weather and people's safety that meant that they they let them march without any sort of opposition. There's so many things you could have done. And people need to know that TERFs are going to do this. Like, it's mm. you need to plan for this. This happens all the time. And, yeah, it just shows, like, a lack of interest in trans people's safety, really. So just let this happen. Yeah, well, it's like it's... I can see why it's hard to stop people marching, but that they let them march at the head of the parade. And so every trans person who is there coming for... For support in what they think is a safe space um and i'm like god anyone who's closet trans and they're at, at pride like i remember all the years i'd go to those marches when i was still in the closet and you get that you know it's like this little message of hope from being at those parades um so anyone in that position it would have been devastating to see something like that and i have that front and center and being told to celebrate that being asked to celebrate that it's just horrible and that's absolutely something they could have stopped. They have absolute control over where the march goes yeah. with people like that at the front. Mm. Um, they just let it happen because it was inconvenient. They didn't want to wait around. They wanted to get things happening. Um, and they just betrayed everyone in our community by doing that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially, especially for the for the closeted trans. Like, I'm a big believer in in supporting them and making them feel making them feel safe, and um, for them to not feel safe is absolutely abhorrent it's unacceptable and i absolutely will not stand for it um because you know because i i've experienced that myself before i came mm. out as non-binary and still kind of do because i'm not out yeah. to absolutely everyone so you know when when you see things like that and i mean especially when you see some of your friends say that you just sort of think well this is why i'm this is why i'm not out to them can i ever be out to them so mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's awful. Yeah. And I found, I found it particularly hurtful coming from that feminist space when I was, mm. when I was closet. Um, I grew up reading a lot of feminist literature and a lot of mm. like radical feminism. Yep. <laughs> um, and that kind of thing. And it, it's you can take on, you accept that there's bigotry in the world when it's when it's naked bigotry, and you can learn to shrug that off. But 
when you're reading it from that side of the people who, like you feel, are standing up for women, who feel should be supporting you, mm. um, when it comes in that space, that's where it really hurts. Absolutely. And I yeah. think for my own coming out journey, probably radical feminism held me in more than the general bigotry in Australian society. Mm. Um, because that was, you know, feminism was an ideology which I was drawn to mm. and, um, and, you know, tried to, tried to follow. So, yeah, when you saw that sort of thing happening in the community, it was very, very damaging. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think I relate to that. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just not enough being done in a lot of mainstream feminism and... Yeah, coming out in like feminist circles and having a lot of difficulty because I think, and I've written about this in the past, I suppose a lot of cis women sort of gatekeep womanhood and like, and have very, have probably not, don't even read, like there's so many good trans writers, but how many have they read and engaged with is just like, it's just so frustrating. Um, yeah, and I think <coughs> that that particular. That particular sort of branch of, of feminism, radical feminism like that, it's very judgmental of cis women as well. Um, mm. And it pushes a particular narrative on, on cis women, which they're supposed to follow. Um, and, you know, I don't... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel it's very, very helpful ideology like that. I mean, most, most feminist spaces I've been in are very supportive of everyone, um, regardless of you know, where, where you sit on the, the feminine spectrum yourself. Um, and it's like then we get these these really vocal fringe groups like that. They remind me a bit of that, like the embarrassing fringe of Christianity who sort of mm. like give this whole ideology a bad name by being extreme in one level. Yeah. Um, and it's just like it makes things harder for everyone, like including within their, their own ideology. So... Mm. Yeah, yeah. I could talk about this for a while, but I think I'll get on to more talking about your work now, Nikki. <coughs> oh, um, my coughing. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So this year you produced a show called The Lazy Show at yes. the, a comedy festival. Yes, I did. Um. Could you tell me about some of your exploration of laziness in that show? <laughs> yeah. Well, The Lazy Show. It came out of. Well, it's a. It's a show that I've been kicking around with for years mm. and I used to have a joke in um, my show Asexual Healing where I talk about I used to think with asexuality I used to identify as bi but just thought I was lazy about it um, and that's why I never sort of pursued sex or relationships um, and I had a joke about laziness and I had this idea for a show called The Lazy Show which I wanted to make but never got around to making and then one of my audiences to Asexual Healing said, oh, come back, do the, do the lazy show, do it. And they convinced me to actually do the thing for real. Um, so I did So I did it. Part of, part of the reason, too, why I did it was I wanted to have a show which wasn't, wasn't like identity dependent because when I was going around promoting asexual healing, uh, audiences always responded very well to the show, but promoting it was quite hard. Mm. So I'd be going up to strangers on the street and handing them a flyer and telling them what my show's about. So it's the inviting comment on my sexuality and on my gender. And I was yeah. finding flyering in particular quite difficult. So I wanted to have a show which was just like, this is a show about laziness. Everyone relates to that. And, you know, most nights I'd do a bit of talking about uh, 
a bit of talking about my transition there as well. I can't do the show without any reference to it, which I've done a couple of times too. But it's so it usually has a little bit of identity-based comedy in it, uh, but mostly it was designed as a show that was easy to sort of present and where I wasn't dependent on that. And if I wanted to go, if I'm... Because, you know, it can be hard. It can be hard getting up on stage in front of a group of people and saying, like, oh, hey, I'm trans, let's talk about it. Mm. Sometimes it's easy to just be like, you know, today I just want to talk about how I don't like to get out of bed in the morning um, and I don't want to bring up identity stuff at all. So let's talk about how much I hate my alarm. And Lazy Cho's been great for that. Mm. Yeah. Um, In terms of the Lazy Show, so you're done with that now, is that... Are you? What are you you're working never, on for the future? You're, you're never gonna, quite yeah. done with a show. Like never. I've done, I've done five seasons of asexual healing, uh, so it's not coming back to Melbourne for a while. But I will be looking at touring it next year. Uh, so I'm just in the process of updating my photos and my marketing around it. And the show keeps adapting and changing. With the Lazy Show, it's had two seasons in Melbourne, so I'll probably. There's probably room for another season here, um, and I'll tour it. I'll definitely take it to Adelaide because it was an Adelaide audience that asked for it, so they're going to get it, um, and I'll take it around as much as I can. But once you make a show, that shows in your life for a number of years. Mm. So even after you've like completed the initial run of it, you keep on tweaking it and bringing it back. So, But I'm working on my new show as well, which is for next year. Oh, a new show? Yes. Is that what you're working on now? Um it's the show is because you know I'm I'm asexual so I don't I don't date but I still have all these bride fantasies hanging around in my head mm. like most of my life I've been I've sort of had this dream about being a bride and it's sort of weird because I don't actually want to be married to someone but I decided to make a show about it so um early next year I'm doing a show called the cake bride and which I marry my true love cake <laughs> and <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, tickets are already on sale on the Butterfly Club website if you're looking for um, ticket. Can I say that, Matricia? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you can yeah. get tickets for it already. It's it's off online, um, but that'll be in the week of Valentine's Day of next year, February. Yeah, cool. Sounds really exciting. Um, will there be, actually will there be lots of cake in the performance? Um, well, I'm still, still developing the show at the moment, but my my husband B is going to be on stage with me, obviously. <laughs> Mm. Yet to work out whether I'll actually eat him on stage <laughs> live or not. <laughs> Depends on what sort of show it's going to be. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm um, just touching on yeah some stuff about asexuality, asexuality, and like ace writing and theory mm. and stuff. I guess like before I came out and transitioned, I identified as asexual, and mm. that changed a bit. Where I'm more Gray sexual person now. Yeah. Um, gray allosexual person. Um, but what I get out a lot about asex, um, asexuality is a lot of the writing is values of friendship and community and how romantic and sexual, and also aromantic writing, how romantic and sexual relationships are hyper prioritized in a Western society based on myths of romantic supremacy and compulsory sexuality. Mm. Um, do you have any like feelings on those things? Um, oh. About which things? About, about with relation to transitional yeah, like, relations right, to society? Like the hyper-prioritization of, like, I suppose, romantic relationships. Oh, yeah, we, we do do that. Like, 
I like I hate that phrase when they say, "Oh, they're like more than friends," and I'm like, "No, you're not more than yeah. friends by being mm. in a relationship with someone. You just have a different type of relationship with someone." Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know know why friendship is devalued compared to relationships, given that your friendships usually are the things that last. Like mm. you tend to turn through a few relationships in your life, um, whereas friendships tend to stay solid over years, um, and more friendships stay solid over years. Um, I know I certainly value all my friends very closely. So one thing I found when I came out as ace, I thought the quality of my friendships got a lot better. It's like when I wasn't investing energy in trying to trying to participate in romance and trying to participate in dating, I felt like I just generally had more energy to give to people. Mm. And because I'm being open about myself, I could be more open with myself about people. And so the quality of those connections with people grew. And I would say my friendship circle grew and strengthened a lot with the act of coming out. Whereas mm. I think before that, there was always a little bit, I know there's always a little bit missing, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. You certainly get it with with writing. Um, you notice that, uh, that prioritisation of romance. Mm. Um, I've been a writer for a long time. Well, I'd, let's say I was an aspiring writer for a long time and finally the last <laughs> few years I'm writing stuff, which is going places. But I used to think I was the worst writer because I couldn't write romance. Because mm. it's one of the first rules you learn when you're learning to write is you need to lift the stakes. So put in a romance, put in sex. Like how does your character react in a romantic situation? And I'd always write these stories with characters who didn't have romances. Mm. They were never interested in it. Like if there was, there's usually like all sorts of sexual variety going on in the background of the story, but the main characters never were. Um, And I always felt like I just can't write people because I don't write, I can't write the romance part, I can't write the sex part. And you feel sort of like because there is such a focus on that in story creation and how we move stories along, that if you don't do it, you feel like you're missing a vital element as a writer. When in fact, what I was doing was writing from truth, writing how I experience the world, which is where those things aren't a priority. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm, another thing I'm thinking about is in terms of queer circles, um, yeah, how do you... Um, yeah, how have you found they have, like, erased or dismissed asexuality? Do you have comments on that or... Yes. Do you think- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have comments on that. I mean, like, it's not always as bad as it's been the last month. Like, recently, this thing of what, you know, in inverted commas, ace discourse, which is just another word for people being dicks to ace people, um, that isn't always around as much. I've always found, interestingly, I've always found the ace community super supportive. Um, like, they, no one in the ace community blinked an eye when I transitioned. It's just like, they just saw me and I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, so I don't care. Like, if you're not interested in having sex with someone, you don't care what genitals they have or what gender they present as. It's just like, yeah. it's just mm. a person who's fun to talk to. Um, but within queer circles I have found a bit of a bit of negativity to being asexual I found especially early on coming out as trans 
there would be some negativity to me for being ace. Um, I think people saw it as some kind of... Well, I, like, there's a sort of narrative about coming out as trans where you're supposed to find your sexual empowerment at some point hmm. um, as, as your true gender. And there's a lot of resistance to trans people being desexualized because mm, mainstream yeah. narrative of trans yeah. tends to desexualize us and say that we're not, yeah. you, know, um, you know, remove us as potential romantic sexual partners, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So when you're being trans and you're like, yeah, but I don't do any of that, I think some trans people see that as like it's part of you desexualizing yourself. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of, a lot of um, people in the queer community can rile up about AIDS because they they sort of identify us with those other social movements, such as people telling people not to express their sexuality um, and desexualizing people um, with different identities. Mm. Uh, and rather than acknowledging us as having our own sexuality, which isn't directed towards, towards other people like that, um, they see us as like tied in with those kind of social movements. And I certainly felt that a lot within the trans community that I would have people who are very supportive friends. Then when they'd find out I was ace, they would sort of turn on me. Some of the most acephobic things that have been said to me were said by other trans people. And it's not that I think... Part of that's just because I don't curate my queer friends like I do my straight friends, if that makes sense. Mm. Like I curate problematic straights out of my life pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, whereas there was a thing like early, especially early on in the community, it's just like, oh, you're trans, great, we're friends. And then you learn that, of course, yes, of course, this community has a full range of people in it, mm. um, just as any part of the community does. Um, and you have to start curating again. Um, so it's not like I think, as a general rule, queer people are more likely to be understanding than if I was to just take a slice of the, the straight community. But I think because when you find your community, you put so much trust in it. Like I'd put so much, intrinsically put so much trust into other trans people that when you discover that acephobia exists, when you discover that other um, negative elements exist within that community, it's doubly hurtful. Because, um, mm. yeah, it yeah. feels like being stabbed by a loved one. It's just like, ah, oh, what? <laughs> Wasn't expecting that here. Mm. Yeah, that sounds very, very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, yeah, that um, desexualization slash hypersexualization dichotomy for trans women. Yeah, it's such a difficult um, thing. And I was thinking of yeah, when and how sexuality is policed in queer circles in terms of mm. acephobia, and we sh really should be opening up like lack of sexual attraction to sexual attraction for everyone, rather than like policing sexualities um but what i found with with doing my show is that when people engage with the concept of asexuality um it frees them up about the way they think about their own sexuality mm. whatever it is which is one of the things i found very powerful about talking about being asexual on stage is that most people have various hang-ups about sex the stuff they like stuff that they don't like there's usually stuff that they don't like that they feel like can't talk about or stuff yep. that they like that they feel they can't talk about but once you understand it's perfectly normal to just hate all of it, yeah. then people are like, oh, well then, you know, I can say I like this or I don't like this, whatever. And I found um, people have 
told me later that the, my show was instrumental, not just in coming out as ace, but in coming out as bi or other sexualities. I've had straight people thank me for it because they were able to work out their sexuality a bit more um, through engaging with it. I think support for the asexual community and for asexuality is a very important part of sexual liberation, actually, for all people. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, in terms of you also do a lot of improv, how have you found navigating improv? <sighs> oh, that is such a question at the moment. That is such a question at the moment. Given, so like, a lot of, yeah, a lot of it is white cis bro-y. Oh, it's super bro-y. I've got, I have a joke about my lazy show. <laughs> <laughs> um, about how, just how bro-y it is. I'm actually, yeah, it's, it's an odd time to bring that up because I'm actually taking a break from improv at the moment for that reason. Um, I found, like, improv was, for me, like, early transition. It was the best thing. Mm. Like, I got the confidence to come out through getting confidence through improv. Actually, it was very instrumental in that part. One of the things that was great about it was because, you know, like on in an improv show, you gender cross the whole time. You're not, like, you don't play the gender that you present as. You play characters of all genders. Mm. So for me, it was very powerful to be able to get on stage and play female characters without needing to worry about how I looked or how I presented. Um, it just took away one of those, like, those nerve things on stage. It's like, I can get up looking however but I can do a kick-ass female character. Mm. Um, so that was very, very powerful for me then. The problem, of course, is that now, like a few years on, I've been doing improv for about five years, um, sort of low-key working on transition for most of that, but sort of only like completely out of the last two to three years, um, that I find it's been hard to get people to sort of keep like moving on with me. Uh, because obviously when we go on stage, we still all sort of dress much the same. Everyone dresses kind of androgynously on stage. I still have to play both male and female characters. Mm. So the people I do improv with are still seeing me, um, you know, performing male roles at the same time as I perform female roles mm. a lot. And it's just been, I've been finding it hard to actually feel fully accepted in that scene. And I think that's part of it. I think the nature of the art is actually actually part of that. Mm. So I've been gravitating more and more towards doing my stand-up because when I do stand-up, I can go as glam as I like. I can just glam up and I control the message that's on stage. Um, and even though stand-up as a scene, like as a community, is not as supportive as the improv community, like if you look at it as a mainstream thing, I find when I go into stand-up because I'm in control of how I present and the message I give on stage. I'm finding I don't really get misgendered or anything in stand-up circles not that I've noticed, whereas I have had problems with that in improv. Um, so, mm. yeah, mm. so so my, my attitude on improv is, is mixed. Like, I found it, I found it amazing early transition. I've been finding it a little bit difficult to stay in that scene um, mm. as I've, you know, got more, you know, more yeah. assured in my, myself. It feels like I'm still trying to drag people out of the past. Not quite the same extent as, like, my family or something who have, like, stuck back in the 90s. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. That's up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it does feel a lot of the times, like, you know, the whole time I've been doing improv, I sort of, you know, I started off, as I said, like, I was early transition and I started doing it. Um, so I was presented kind of androgynously on stage, I suppose. 
Um, but yeah, I find it hard to get people beyond that point. Mm. Yeah. When you're talking about that, I was thinking about these conversations that pop up every now and again about, um, I guess in this case it is Scarlett Johansson playing a <sighs> uh, trans man and it's it's like trans people have I think have this extra restriction it's like when do you ever see a trans person cast as a cis person I mean mm. it's mm. like there's these extra restrictions on what like trans people can do or something in a society is yeah mm. yeah no it's like I've one joke that says like that's my one regret about transitioning is that now I'll never get to play a trans woman in a film. Um, mm. Missed the chance to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I find, yeah, it's like, because on one level, um, being a performer, I think everyone should be able to play everyone else. Yeah. Mm. So I don't intrinsically have a problem with a cis person playing a trans person. The problem is that trans people don't get to play trans people and yeah. trans people don't get to play cis people. That yeah, we're just exactly. shut out of the industry altogether. Mm. And if that wasn't a problem, I'd be quite fine with ScarJo doing that. But it is a problem and she's the face of it and she's completely dismissed the nature of that, that problem. Mm. Which she's doing on the back of, like, the other thing with the anime where she was playing a... <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, an Asian character. And it's ScarJo. It's like, oh, she's becoming quite problematic for somebody who used to be one of my favourite actresses. Yeah. It's even the same director from Grace in the Shell doing the film where she's a... Oh, my a God, really? Yeah, you'd almost think this was parody. But no, it's... Oh, my uh, God, I didn't even yeah. know that. No, it's... it's Yeah, everyone's just gobsmacked about it, including myself. It's like, you can't make this up. <laughs> God. Oh God, it's a, yeah, a problematic duo. Yeah, God only knows what they'll do next. Mm. Don't even want to think about it. Don't even want to speculate. No, don't want to give them ideas. Because we'll come up with something really bad and then they'll do something worse. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> God. Mm, oh, dear. Um, yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to... Anything else coming up, coming up you'd like to tell our listeners about? Um so it's just you're doing doing a show next year? Um, well, I'm doing a lot of stand-up at the moment. Stand-up. So I'm doing, Where can um, we see you? Around the traps at different <laughs> open mic nights and stuff. Um, there is a big... There's going to be a big trans spectacular at Fringe this year. Mm, Fringe is a little yeah. bit under embargo at the moment, so hush-hush about the details, yeah, but look out for trans spectaculars because <laughs> um, there will be one and I'll be in it. Um, and I'm also... Yeah, as I said, just because, you know, I've been working in this quite, quite bro-y art for a while, like in improv and comedy and stuff like that. So I've been sort of moving out into doing, um, into doing arts which are more, sort of more celebratory of femininity, I suppose. So I'm doing a bit of dance stuff. I came here straight from like, you know, gluing rhinestones on a costume for a dance performance. Yeah, well, um, nice. And stuff like that. So, you know, sometimes you, you need to do that. Like you need to take time out of your regular art and expand what you do and I'll come back to I'll come back to doing improv in the future probably um, but I sort of need to find my way a bit more before I do that yeah cool um, thanks for being on the show Nikki it's so oh, great to have you you're welcome Alex. 
You're listening to Queer in the Air on FreeCR AM. Uh, today we have another guest. Uh, her name is Miranda Sparks. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. Uh, she is a writer, performer, and radio host. Uh, she is currently doing the web superhero serial Glimmer Girl, which is about a transgender superhero. Really good. You should check it out. And she's also the host of the Gender Agenda on Joy FM. Uh, so, yeah, we're speaking to Miranda. Can you hear us? I can hear you guys just fine. Hooray. How you doing? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, getting by. It's a nice chill Sunday. Like, emphasis on chill, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so, Miranda, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you do, like your, your writing and, and stuff like that. Oh, gosh. I, am, um, I describe myself as a wearer of many hats because I do so many things. I, I often joke that uh, if it doesn't pay, then usually I'm doing it. <laughs> um, but uh, but I am a writer. I write superhero blog fiction, Glimmer Girl, trans, uh, transgender superhero. I do host the Gender Agenda on Joy 94.9, Wednesdays at 8pm. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and I also run a transgender support group um, twice a month. And mental health is, a, is the other thing I'm very, very passionate about. And mm. so between those things, um, you'll generally find me very busy with something. Oh, nice. That's, uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly relate to the wear of many hats thing. Um, oh, if I'm doing just one thing, I, I don't feel satisfied. So uh, I can, can definitely relate with you there. Oh, God, who can even be idle anymore? Yeah. You know, like once, once you get addicted to your work, like, you know, you just can't <laughs> relax anymore. Yeah. We just, yeah, we're, we're just talking to Nikki Sunday, who's also in the studio, and you have lots of thoughts on... Hello, I'm still here. Hi. On, like, <laughs> idleness and laziness. <laughs> Let's do a show about that. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing because I, I still think of myself as I did back in high school when I was just a complete slacker and just mm. had no motivation to do anything. And now I do everything and still feel like I'm not doing enough like I did back then. It never really leaves you. No, that's, that's what I found in my show, definitely. It's like I talk to the audience about their own lazy things and productivity things. And mm. what I find is everyone's super busy, but everyone feels lazy. It's like we're mm. all comparing ourselves to these unrealistic standards of productivity. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, gosh. <laughs> There's so many truths being dropped today, that's for sure. Um, so about, about your writing, uh, has, that been something, has that been something you've been doing for a, for a long time or is it, is it a recent thing? Tell us a bit about that. I have been writing Glimmer Girl ever since the start of my transition. It was about 10 years ago. Oh, but I've been writing ever since I was a teenager when I discovered fan fiction was a thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, my type of girl. <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever go to fanfiction.net? Oh, I lived on fanfiction.net. Um, I'm pretty sure if you went, if you go digging around, you'll find my Dragon Ball Z clerks crossover. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to go digging around. I'm going to read that. Sounds great. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing because I, oh, this is probably too much information to be released on the air, but I did a Dragon Ball Z slash Back to the Future crossover. Oh. It must have been the thing in the early 2000s. Oh, you were right after my own heart. That is, <laughs> that's fantastic. We were just destined to be friends, I think. <laughs> but uh, fan fiction's where I got my start. And then when I transitioned, and I've, I've always loved DC Marvel comics and just, mm. you know, superhero sort of, you know, culture, genre my entire life and there wasn't a trans girl superhero that existed then and so i wrote this character glimmer girl and she sort of I've, I've rebooted the story at least a dozen times since i began and now i've 
come out with a with a version I'm actually proud of. I've gotten it properly edited. I've started releasing it online. Uh, my girlfriend nags me to try and make some money off of it, so now I'm accepting donations, but I'm keeping it free to access because I know that, you know, being transgender and, you know, being an impoverished community, a lot of people can't afford to pay for it. So it's more or less... If you can, give something, but otherwise, you know, it is for everybody. We need this out there sort of thing. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds really right. I guess this is a perfect segue to talk about uh, Glimmer Girl. So, uh, yeah, tell, tell us a bit more. Tell us a bit more about Glimmer Girl. I, I was... Um, reading reading a few chapters of the serial and it's um yeah it's 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 really great it's um sort of sort of like a sort of like a like a john hughes movie meets uh superheroes in a way oh definitely because there's a lot of inspiration that comes from the teen heroes sort of like you know young spider-man um mm. more ms marvel kind of stuff now uh, for oh, yeah. those of you who are familiar but um glimmer girl follows the story of kira kate who was yet to come out in high school at the beginning of the story. And then some really unfortunate stuff happens to her and she gets superpowers. And getting superpowers is, in a way, she's empowered, but at the same time she has to learn, you know, she, she deals with the weight of it and is given this new freedom and discovers the restrictions on that. And now she's sort of growing with this and wants to go out and do the right thing while also really just falling in love with this new persona that allows her to let go of all the the stuff that's poured on a trans person through her everyday life. And it's it's a developing piece. There's definitely going to go... There's definitely going to be a few new directions as time goes on. Um, Eventually, the public does learn about her trans status without revealing her secret identity. And that's going to be a whole other kettle of fish to deal with, but... Mm. Right now, it's just sort of having fun with the action adventure sort of elements. Yeah, it it like it's funny you mentioned Miss Marvel because it was um, definitely reminding me of that a lot. Like just sort of um, just sort of like the humanity, um, the humanity behind it all, and um, giving you know giving giving young young trans people um something to you know something to aspire to which is something i i believe in my own work with um with with comics and stuff so um so yeah um it's it's clear that superhero comics are something that inspires you um i know we don't have a lot of time because you you must have a lot of favorite superhero comics but are there any like are they like two or three in particular you like i would say that my my biggest inspiration was, i used to love grant morrison's justice league of america comics back in the day like the the big hero action is what really drew me in. But I am loving a lot of character pieces. Like Ms. Marvel has mm. to be my favorite book at the moment. And it has been ever since um, G. Willow Wilson, I think, is the name of the writer. Yeah, that's um, correct. Started writing it like going back, I think, 2008, something like that. Mm. And I've just been in love with the character ever since. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think there was just that line... Um, was that line in the very first issue when um uh, Kamala's just like you know trying to learn the try, trying to be a superhero for the first time and trying to do the right thing and she did a quote where I think it was something like if you know if you destroy one person it's if it's as if you've destroyed all of humanity but if you save one person it's as if you've um saved all of humanity and that's that's kind of been my life mantra like going you know in anything that I do I, I imagine that might be the same for you. 
Yeah, I actually think that line's from the Quran as well. Yeah, I knew it was from somewhere. I, it Just the name escaped me. Yeah, um, there's also another line she has which says, um, good, good isn't a thing you are, it's a thing you do. And that's very much sort of something I... With Glimmer Girl, like, you know, her ethos is that um, there isn't so much good or evil in the world as there is suffering and the ability to do something about it. Hmm. Okay. Um, I want I wanted to talk about um, uh, transmission, the the mental health initiative that you do. Yes. Um, I was recently looking over that, and it looks really interesting. So, uh, yeah, could you tell us a bit about that? Transmission is a twice monthly support group. Um, so it's the first and second Thursday of uh, sorry, it's first and second Tuesday of every month from six to eight pm, based out of the um, Mental Health Foundation of Australia, and it's for not just trans folk, but, you know, non-binary folk and anyone who's questioning their gender. Anyone who, you know, might be struggling with, you know, ideas of gender or if you're struggling with gender and you, you know, have depression, anxiety and stuff on top of that. These issues are epidemic in our community. So mm. we have transmission for folks to be able to come along and be able to just, just talk about their lives. And sometimes we'll do things that are a little bit group therapy, but, you know, mostly, you know, we we just, you know, kind of have a casual chat and, you know, talk about, you know, what's going on. And it's really good because it, it fills in a bit of a gap that's going on. Like you have groups like um, Minus 18 and Y Gender who generally see people up to about the age of 25. And you have other groups which, you know, generally cater to older trans folk, but I've found that a lot of people... Um, probably in between the ages of 25 to 40, feel that they don't have a place to go and that they don't feel there are many places where they can talk about these things. And transmission has filled that gap a lot of the time, or at least that's the feedback I'm getting from folks. Even though you don't have to be in that age range to come along, like, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of how we've, uh, how we've functioned so far. Mm, that that sounds that sounds uh, that sounds amazing. Particularly the part where you highlight, you know, that there's not a lot of um, initiatives for like uh, people age twenty to to, to forty, uh, uh, queer people age twenty to forty to go to. And yeah, um, like I'm I'm in my thirties, and um, yeah, not, not to make this about me, but um, yeah, I came out when I was about thirty years old, um, and unfortunately, I received a bit of a backlash and. You know, didn't really have a lot. Didn't really have a lot, lot, lot anywhere to go. Um. So, so yeah, this is uh. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing initiative. Um. I definitely feel yeah. it because I was an older millennial when I came out. I felt um, I was twenty five years old. I'm thirty five now. Yeah. And I kind of ended up bypassing the the youth projects completely. And yeah. Whenever I went to support groups, I was always the youngest person there, which mm. was you know, just sort of felt really out of place and there wasn't any community outside of a party scene, which I didn't really want to be a part of. Yeah. So so being able to provide that for others has been very cathartic for me as well. Mm. Yeah, that um, is, yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. I think, yeah, I think you're doing great work. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I wanted to talk about the, the gender agenda, the the radio show you've been mm -hmm. doing. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes, uh, in particular the one you did with, uh, I think it was Alison Evans was really great. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Alison Evans, a brilliant non-binary author. They, uh, mm. they, they 
won the Premier's Literary Award yeah. uh, earlier this year, which was fantastic on for, on their part. Mm. Yeah, they wrote Ida. Yeah, that's a great. Yet to read great it. Book. You've read it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a really good book. Just seeing like non-binary representation in Australian literature, I mean, that's that's just that's just monumental. Um, yeah, like yeah, Alison, Alison was a, a big supporter of of my own work. It's how I got started, like just doing stuff for the queer community. So, um, but yeah, uh, back to gender agenda. Sorry, <laughs> no worries. Uh, so yeah, just tell us a bit, a bit about that. Um, well, since we're a part of Joy. We, we sort of have this ethos at the station to to try and be a positive voice for the community. Um, and, and sometimes that's difficult because, you know, in, in the, the trans, non-binary, gender, non-conforming circles, you know, we're in a very difficult time of history where we seem to get a lot of bad news every day. Mm. Um, but we felt when doing the gender agenda that there are enough avenues telling the bad news and that we could get bogged down in negativity really easily. So instead of talking about all the politicking and all of that, we wanted to actually talk about people's lives and the awesome things people are doing as individuals and have that sort of focus and not have to, you know, explain or justify ourselves every single time. And so we have thrown our listeners into the into the deep end a few times, and we have had a few people write in and say, "So, what is this? You know, trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming thing?" And hmm. you know, that's when we'll scale back and maybe do a bit of one hundred and one. But for the most part, it's for um, the gender variant audience and talking about you know community projects, talking about writers, artists, politicians, musicians. We are an incredibly rich community of people who are doing a lot of amazing things, and sometimes these things kind of get glossed over. Mm. And so our real approach is to get the word out, let people know what we're about, let people know that we're doing things, and, and to really just help us rise above all the crap that we're constantly buried in. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely, definitely agree with, agree with that. Um, yeah, like like you like you were saying, we're, we're a huge huge group of um, people from all walks of life, and um, you know, I think I think just by existing, we do like just we we you know do a wonderful job. Um, and yeah, I think we're all capable of um, great things. And I, yeah, I think it's really great that you're highlighting that on on the show. And it's great because, um, I know, like, honestly, the honor's all mine. Because whenever I meet folks from our community, even if they're people who sometimes ideologically I might not agree with, and there have been a few, mm. um, you know, still to see them getting out there and living their best life, they become my superheroes from day to day. And that really, you know, I, I kind of feed that back into Glimmer Girl as well. <laughs> which is the, the really amazing thing. I remember being um, a young trans person and thinking that it was going to be hopeless and that I was going to have to put myself through, you know, a lot of really negative relationships. So I'd have people looking down on me and, you know, that I would be facing a lot more discrimination than I actually do, that it was, that it was the end of the world, only to find out that, you know, I am now able to live my best life and 
some people are still coming out of that dark place and I'm still mm. helping them to live their best life, but it doesn't have to be complete and utter dread 24-7. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just to just to close off, uh, this is my, my favourite part. Uh, where, ca- where, where can we find your work on social media and the internet in general? Uh, you can find my author page on Facebook, uh, Miranda Sparks. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Mirandi with an R-A-N-D-I-M-I-R-A-N-D-I. <laughs> cool. uh, you can visit Glimmer Girl at Shimmerverse.com and you can check out the, um, the Gender Agenda on Joy Wednesdays from 8pm or the podcast joy.org.au slash the gender agenda. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Miranda. Um, and we've reached the end of our show today on Queering Yeah. Wow, that show went fast. It's been a great show. Um, thanks, Nikki Spondy, for joining us. You're welcome, Iris. And thanks also to Miranda Sparks that you just heard from. Um, so we just got one or two things to promote before we say goodbye. I've heard Queering the Pitch is coming up. Can you yeah, us? that's coming up at Hairs and Hyenas in um, it's about a week or so. It's a show being put on by Mama Alte at Hairs and Hyenas. So I'll have a whole bunch of great gender-diverse performers at it, including Mama herself and George Munro, who's fantastic, and a bunch of others. Fantastic. Check the I forget the dates, but it's coming up soon. I've got tickets to it. Yeah, we'll advertise it on the Facebook page at some point. There's also an LGBTIQ health conference coming up this week, and also on the same date as one of those conference, that conference, which is on Thursday and Friday at the Jasper Hotel, is generated at Footscray Community Arts Centre, which is um, a little day thing on ableism and access hosted by Jack's Jackie Brown and supported, um, yeah, by Footscray Community Arts Centre. So check those things out if you're interested. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.